Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast, where we focus on how authors found success, looking at strategies that have taken them to the top of the bestseller charts, as well as what they've learned from their mistakes. Because being an indie author is more than knowing the latest marketing trend. It's about being innovative and creative and learning from your mistakes. Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. I'm Sarah Rosette. And I'm Jamie Albright. And this week on the show, we have... Theodora Taylor. Yes, we do. Y'all, it's so fun. We laughed so much and it was a great interview. Yes. We talked about her book. She has a new book out about universal fantasy and it's, we, we delved in like her writing and, you know, how she became a writer and Mm -hmm. she had some really good tips. Um, Mm -hmm. She has like, she talks about the number one piece of advice she gives new authors if they ask her, you know, what she would advise them to do. Mm -hmm. And then we um, talked about three, well, actually four movies because we talked about mm-hmm. Beauty and the Beast mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. um, Notting Hill, Knives Out, and, and Crazy Rich Asians. Crazy Rich Asians. There's mm-hmm. lots of spoilers. So if you mm-hmm. haven't watched any of those, <laughs> don't listen to this episode until after you have watched them. But then we dig into some of the universal fantasy yeah. elements that, and that's like things that pull readers to you mm-hmm. that kind of make it, make your work more um make it more appealing across a genre, across mm-hmm. genres. Would yeah. you agree with that? Yeah. Cause we all have these fantasies that we don't necessarily even really talk about, but they're mm-hmm. just things we just love. And mm-hmm. she talks about them being better, you know, they're mm-hmm. the good stuff that you fold into a story and, um, and they're not necessarily just for romance. I mean, Knives right. Out is not a romance and she had some great ones for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it was it was such a great interview, and Theodora has been on lots of podcasts because her book, Seven Figure Author: How to Use Universal Fantasies to Sell Your Books, is very popular right now. But so we wanted to ask her some questions that were a little bit different, and um, I think yeah. I think you're just going to love it. So, yeah. what's been going on with you, Sarah? Uh, this week, I've been doing some writing and working on the translations. Still mm-hmm. working on getting all the things done, the mm-hmm. small details. Right. Um, um, yeah, just, you know, knit noise stuff. And we've also done, it's the week before Thanksgiving in the U S mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so I've been to like three grocery stores and we mm-hmm. started our Christmas shopping yeah. because of all the delays in shipping and mm-hmm. stuff. I thought we better get on that. So mm-hmm. I've been doing a lot of like real life stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, I should not have to go to the grocery store next week, but I'm sure I will. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. So, what about you? Uh, well, we're kind of the same thing. Um, we're having our kids and all our grandkids, and just our family. It's 13 people at our Thanksgiving table, so um, we're getting gearing up for that. My husband's doing the cooking. My husband, my daughter, and my son. I will stay out of the kitchen because those three alphas, <laughs> I do not want to be in the kitchen with them. Um, and the, it, my daughter, my, she, my daughter edits this. She'll probably say, well, I don't want to be in there either, but, um, <laughs> but she's going to be in there, huh? Yeah. She's going to be in there. Um, and then I had a little procedure done on my foot and uh, I've had plantar fasciitis really badly for about eight months. And, it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. And so I had this thing done um, yesterday, the day before, I can't remember. And so I'm kind of off my foot for right now, just for a few days. And um, anyway, yeah, that's what's been going on. I'm st- I, I, it's taken me 
I'm older. I can tell I'm older from go or just not used to going to conferences because it's taken me several days to recover from being at 20 bucks. Um, I think we got a double whammy with the time change here, just like daylight Uh savings time. And then we go to Vegas where the time change is different. And then Mm -hmm. I came back and, and then you've got the like pent up, like, Yes. energy of not seeing yes. people for yes. not going to an actual conference for mm-hmm. so long that mm-hmm. I'm sure that yeah. was a little, uh, yeah, it was great. Though. I mean, I know I talked about it, but yeah, it was just so great. I loved it. I loved every minute of it. And uh, it's, it's just super. I mean, I just love being around people. So, <laughs> so when's the next conference, huh? Yeah, exactly. Not until <laughs> March, I don't think, but um, yeah. anyway, so yeah, I'm just, yeah. So um, I have an entertainment recommendation. Oh, please. Okay. So it's on Netflix. It's called Red Notice. Have you seen that? It's oh, a movie. I have. Yeah. And I loved it. And there yeah. are some people that didn't like it, but I thought it was so fun. Yeah. I thought it was very funny and light and, yeah. you know, just something good to take your mind off things. Yes. I did yes. think, like, for me, the only drawback to it was like, I kept watching it going, I thought it was good, but maybe just a little bit derivative. Do you know what I mean? Like, a lot of the scenes reminded me of other movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. but for what it was for a good escapist entertainment, <laughs> yes. sign me up for that every yes. day. <laughs> yes, Especially exactly. a heist story. I'm always yes. in for a heist. I've watched a few things and that's been good, but um, I'm rewatching The Matrix right now because mm-hmm. I don't know if y'all know, but in December there's a new Matrix coming out with Keanu Reeves and the woman that was in... The first one, yeah, the, the first original. in the first three, yeah, yeah. So I can, I don't know her name, but I'm I'm kind of excited about that, and uh, yeah. So awesome. that's that's what's going on here. Uh, do we need a question of the week? We do, and I think it yes. should be about Universal. Fantasy. I do too. What are your favorites? So let's do yeah. that. Yeah, it doesn't have to be like in your books. Just like no. what what when you see a description that includes a certain. Mm-hmm. Universal, you just go, I'm in. Like for mm-hmm. me, it'd be heist. Like mm-hmm. Red Notice, it's a heist. Mm-hmm. I'm in. I want yeah. to know. Yeah, I'm going to watch it. Yeah. 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 That's, that's, I love those too. So, yeah. Yeah. What butters your bread? That's what we want to know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. All well, right. Well, let's get on the with interview. Yeah. All right, today we're so excited to have Theodora Taylor with us. Hi, Theodora. How are you? Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. We are so, so glad you're here. Me. Yeah, we're super so happy you're here. here. <laughs> so let me read your bio and we'll jump right into the questions. Great. All right. After logging time as a music journalist, playwright, and radio writer, Theodora Taylor fell in love with pinning hot books with heart. Theodora's 50 Loving States series, which features alternative heroes and smart feisty heroines, has become a one-click stop for thousands of readers. And she is an Amazon top 10 bestselling author. When not reading, writing, or daydreaming, she enjoys spending time with her amazing family, going on date nights with her wonderful husband, learning German, and watching all the Shonda Rhyme shows ever, and attending <laughs> parties thrown by others. <laughs> that's right. I don't want to throw the party. I just want to go. Yes. Yeah, that's how I am. I'm always willing to come to your party. <laughs> just don't ask me to throw it. Yeah. So tell us how you got into writing, Theodore. Well, I always say, like, I just was a writer. Like, um, it's interesting. Um, 
when I was in second grade, I got I went to a religious Lutheran high school, and we were given this assignment to do a um, story about a picture we we received. And I received a Mr. Potato Head and a Mrs. Potato Head. And so I wrote a story about Mrs. Potato Head leaving Mr. Potato Head for a biker named Biff. And (laughs) then after discovering that Biff wasn't that great, she went back to Mr. Potato Head and asked him to forgive her because it had Mm -hmm. to have like some religious, Mm -hmm. like, so there had to be forgiveness as a Mm -hmm. theme. Mm-hmm. And asked her to forgive him, forgive her, and he did. And my parents also <laughs> got a call, <laughs> and so that was like my first, like you know, parent-teacher conference, unscheduled, um, quickly scheduled parent-teacher conference <laughs> to talk about my too big imagination. So, um, but my parents afterwards were like, "That was a good little story." <laughs> they were really impressed with my second-grade effort. So from that time on, I was just like I want to be a writer I uh, thought you know it's interesting I did a bunch of other things in my um early 20s then I came back to like including like teaching abroad in Asia and I came back to America and I became a music journalist and then I went and got a degree in dramatic writing mm-hmm. and became a playwright. I always joke because I just wasn't poor enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I um, got my first job as a radio writer, which, you know, was my first mm-hmm. job making a living. Mm-hmm. Then I became a um, women's fiction author under my real name. And then um, that really, that kind of didn't pan out and I became a romance writer. So I always just say I was a writer since second grade, like mm-hmm. romance being a romance romance writer, that's the career that stuck. Right. But I knew kind of that would be some kind of writer. That's awesome. I love that story. That's great. Yeah. I love that it started with Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. I think that's awesome. <laughs> and their I marital issues. Story. <laughs> the seed of romance was there. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is your definition of success? Um, you know, the great thing about success, at least for me, and I, I'm sure for you, is that it keeps on changing. So, yes. you know, when I was a starving playwright, obviously, I was just kind of like, man, wouldn't it be nice to be able to pay my bills mm-hmm. and to pay off these student loans and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. And so um, after I started making a living and um, I had to leave radio writing because it was just a ton, any radio write every, every mom who used to be a radio writer has the exact same story. I got pregnant Mm -hmm. (laughs) and realized I couldn't work those radio writer hours anymore. Mm -hmm. And um, I left. And so my original um, intention, especially with writing indie romance, was just to replace my um, radio writing um, income. And so it was just like, oh, that will make me a success. And then when you did that, I did that. I was like, oh, six figures. I just Mm -hmm. really want to become a six-figure author. That will make me a success. And then after I started making six figures, it was like, oh, man, I'd really like to onboard my husband to the mm-hmm. business. Like some people call it retiring, but, mm-hmm. you know, they work so hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I call it onboarding, onboarding mm-hmm. your husband. And yeah. so um, that became my big, big goal. And I was able to do that in um, 2020. So now it's like um, I love to become a seven figure a year author. Mm-hmm. And. I'm very, very interested to see what my definition of success will be after. After that. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah. Sarah and I've talked about how lucky 
uh, authors are that onboard their husbands yes. into their business and stuff. <laughs> However, we know that we would not be two of those authors. We we love our husbands. We yes. don't want to work with them. That's, yes. <laughs> we we just don't. So you kind of know. You kind of know. Yeah, yeah. you kind of know. Yeah, yeah. 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 husbands made it clear that. Yeah, and they're not interested in working with no. us either. Yeah. He's not. He's like, <laughs> you go, girl. You're doing great, but you know. Don't don't ask me to run your ads, basically. <laughs> well, it's funny. The last time I talked to Sky, I was like, you have got to do like an onboarding. I'm sorry, Sky Warren, who is mm-hmm. this really amazing author. Um, and she runs this amazing conference called Romance Author Mastermind. And I was just kind of like, you know, for all of us who have onboarded our husbands without a plan, I would love to see a workshop on that <laughs> or yeah, even a yeah. panel, you know. But yes. then... Um, like I will say with onboarding your husband, sometimes um, like the mystery kind of disappears from the, the relationship. Like yeah. they always know what you're doing. Yeah. Like every, and so we had to make a rule, like no business talk during lunch, no business talk right. after eight. We just like spend time with each right. other for two human beings who aren't working together. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, that's great. And that's a good rule because we, you know, just owning your own business, you could talk about this for 24 yes, hours, you know, 24 yes. seven. So um, I think that's really wise. So what do you wish you'd known about writing and craft? Um, I wish beforehand I was really like, oh man, you know, I just want to be a good writer. I want to be a good writer for a while because, you know, you're in, um, grad school and you're like paying a lot of money. So it's mm-hmm. just like, you're a good writer <laughs> and <laughs> stuff like that. And I wish craft wise that I could have understood it would have saved me a lot of um, anxiety. Mm-hmm. If I re- if I had realized from the start, you're never a good writer. You're just becoming a better writer until the day you die. Right, <laughs> so right, when you right. look at it that way, it's, it, it saves on anxiety, like that feeling like, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not good mm-hmm. enough. I'm not good enough. I wish I had known from the start that this is a long game, a long marathon of becoming better and better. Right. I think it takes the pressure off too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. It is like a long, like I look back at my first books and I'm not super excited about them. Some of the stuff <laughs> I think, oh, but if you look at it as a continuum, like you have to write those first books yes. to, to get through that. Yeah. Yes. So. Like you have mm-hmm. to be super grateful to that person because it's like, mm-hmm. man, thank you for taking the chance and not knowing you didn't know what you right. didn't know. Didn't know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. I, if I wrote like that now, I would be very upset. <laughs> right. <laughs> when yeah. um, I went to my first critique group <clears throat> where they kicked my behind for six months, it was horrible. Um but good, but horrible because it was embarrassing. But there was another girl who started kind of at the same time as me. And she, I remember her saying, you know, you just don't know what you don't know. Yes. And, you know, finding it out. We both had started a little later in life writing and we were both like, man, how did we not know this stuff? I mean, it was just like really eye-opening, but you don't know what you don't know. And I'm still well, finding know, that it's out. It's interesting because I think women really are kind of like, well, it's hard to have a growth mindset sometimes. Yes. Like it's like either it I'm smart or I'm not smart Correct. or I'm a good writer. Or I'm not a good writer. And so when women, especially um, women writers, when we find out 
that thing that we didn't know, mm-hmm. it makes us feel like, well, maybe there's something wrong with us, or maybe we're not as good of a writer as we thought we are. Whereas mm-hmm. this is really, like you said, the process, like yes. you're a baby writer, no matter what age you are, and then you exactly. become more and more adult writer, right. <laughs> you know, exactly. you go along. Yes. Yeah. yes. But I think the mindset of just being better is so much, is so healthy because also I think, People who say, I just, you know, I got to get, it's got to be perfect, or I need to be a great writer. It keeps them from publishing sometimes. And um, when really publishing a book that's just okay is part of the learning process. And that's how you get better, you know. You got to fail. Like, you know, it's funny, it's funny toward the first part of my career, because my first book, I was very fortunate. It just earned me like, it was Mm -hmm. funny because now I don't necessarily think it's that much money, but it Mm -hmm. earned me like four figures. And I thought Mm -hmm. that was amazing. Yeah, (laughs) you know, now I'd be like a little upset if it was a new release. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was uh, four figures. But, you know, back then I was really, really excited because it was my first book. And then two months later, like four figures landed in my bank account. I was just really happy about that. And I've lost the trail of my thought. Darn it. <laughs> about about so being sorry. a perfect, uh, putting out a okay book to learn. Yes. 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 Mm-hmm. yes. And that was one of the things, like that was one. Of, and so toward the first part of my career, I was really concerned. Like, mm-hmm. is this the book that's going to flop? Is this the book right. that's going to flop? And then right finally a book flopped and it was almost a relief because it was just yeah. like, oh, hey, that's why this <laughs> flopped, <laughs> you know, um, I can move on for that. I'm yes. never going to do that again. Right, <laughs> and, you right, know, right. Yeah. I've learned my lesson and that's kind of, that's, that's the big thing about being a yes. writer. It's not yes. like you, you're always learning. You're always right. learning. So all those books that flop, all those books that aren't as good as you want them to be, mm-hmm. you kind of just have to say, I say this to my editor all the time, because she'll be like, not as much as I used to, but mm-hmm. she'll say something and I'll have like two weeks to turn it in. And she'll say like, this guy's motivation. I just don't understand why it's happening. And mm-hmm. they'll be like, well, it's happening because I really want it to happen, but <laughs> I really think hard about motivation. The next book. Yeah. Yeah. This one, you're just going to have to go along with it. Yeah, yeah. The next book. Oh, Suspen- my gosh. I want to incorporate belief, yes. that. <laughs> I'm going to nail it next time. I know. Yeah. Next time, I'm going to nail it. Thank you for that note. It's completely right. I am not going to be able to take it for this book. But the next so book, funny. I'm on it. There's progress, awesome. though. So we're yeah. making progress. Yeah. <laughs> well, what about marketing? What do you wish you'd known about marketing? Oh, gosh. Oh, my God. <laughs> Everybody says. This is the number one thing. Like, if people ask me for advice, I'm always yeah. just kind of like, number one thing, man, I wish I had set up my backlist to win from the front, <laughs> from the start. Oh, yeah. Like, so, you know, I I talk about in the book, I'm a genre hopper, which is, you know, not the wisest thing to do, <sighs> usually. And, um. It's what it is, but mm-hmm. not writing in series from the start, that's something I could have done. And mm-hmm. so I wish I had learned that lesson just earlier on because it would have sa- it would have saved the readers a lot of upset. It would have saved me a lot of upset, and I wouldn't have gotten so many angry emails about <laughs> how long it was taking me to complete a series. But if I had it all over to do again, I would write in series for sure. Yeah. That's Very awesome. good. That's 
I think that's just so important, but it's hard too because you know you want to write what you want to write. Yeah. I mean, I'm fortunate that what I want to write is in a series, but um, it's still it's still hard for a lot of authors, and I get that. I get yeah. That. I think, yeah. No. I, I think we also I, that pull, you know, like oh, new shiny. Let me go mm-hmm. check out this genre over here or this yeah. subgenre. You know, that will treat me better. That <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is putting me through the ringer. That book will treat me better. Yeah, in that yeah, other exactly. series, I know that series will be m- much nicer to me. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, do you have any suggestions? You said that about setting up your backlist for to help your front list. Do you have anything oh. that you do like? Isn't specifically to guide people into your newer books? So now I would say that I really, really think about the first in the series. Beforehand, Mm -hmm. even with series, I would say, uh, like, you know, A, I didn't do series, but I wouldn't really think about the first book in the series. Like, Mm -hmm. it was more like if a book did really well, it would become a series, which Mm -hmm. is not a bad way to do it. But Mm -hmm. then when I started thinking in series, I would be like, oh, this is a series. And then in the third book, this really great story happens. And so then when I went to market it, you'd have a first in series. That was just okay. Mm -hmm. But like the second book or the third book, got all these great reviews and like, you know, I had that problem where like the third book of my series would always have just way more reviews than the series starter. So Mm -hmm. one of the things that I would super duper suggest to anyone who is really wanting to set up their backlist so that it keeps on earning the -hmm. money, like an annuity. Um, Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. (laughs) Um, I'm a, I'm a huge reader. So I'm always concerned that I don't hear a lot. Sounds good to us. Yeah. Like, so that it's set up like an annuity. Yeah. It's just very, very easy. Like nowadays, you know, and it's sad because I'm only in my forties, but I think like if I'm setting up a series, how can I make, if someone else had to take this over from me, um, like all they have to do is, um, keep on advertising that first in series so that people will have the read through. Just make right. it just super simple to yeah. earn money on yeah. your back. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. don't want, like, you know, I have, I finally did this thing with an orphan series. I had all these orphan standalones. So I made them into a series and, you know, I Frankensteined it and it was fine, but you know, it would be, it would have been better if I hadn't had the orphans and that I just kind of, if I had thought everything through as a series and that backlist would just kind of earn yeah. based on me advertising all of the first in series. Like that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a good business plan to go by if mm-hmm. you can for an author. Right. Yeah. Put them in a family instead of made them orphans. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> They'll just have this random idea. Like, it's like, how can I connect this random idea to somebody? And that. now it's like, you know, and that's, that's, that's the business in the author like you yeah, know it's just yeah. kind of like oh my gosh I'm on the toilet I'm taking a poop and this great idea came <laughs> this great idea and you know you're just like I gotta write this and now it's like I have that great toilet epiphany but then I'm just like how can I connect this to a series how yes. can I like right. make this idea so good this great idea mm-hmm. so good that you know it just keeps on selling in that there's three other books, minimum two, two or three other books connected to it. Yeah, that sounds great. And it's, it simplifies um, 
marketing as well. Because mm-hmm. if you know you're focusing on your first books, whereas instead of trying to promote, you know, however many you have in your backlist, yes. then it, it helps kind of simplify things. And we need simple, simplified simplification. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, that's one of the weird things because when, when you talk about things I didn't know mm-hmm. as a baby writer, it's just kind of like you kind of think of writers. It's just like, oh, you know, you sit around and you, when inspiration hits, you just go and you write that draft and you like mm-hmm. send it off to New York. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> you send they it love off it. to New York and they're just like, yay, you've written such a great thing. And now we're going to present it to the people and they'll just throw money at you. Yeah. And it's just like, that is really not the life of an indie writer. It's mm-hmm. more like, oh, you know, you get inspiration, you still get the inspiration, you still have ideas that you need to work on, but you're always just insanely busy. I just, I've never, it never would have occurred to me when I innocently said, I'm going to write a romance novel, I'm going to see how it does indie-wise, that I was setting myself up to be busier than most people imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So anything yeah. you can do, like if you succeed at this, there's no such thing as someone who's very successful at indie writing, who's just like, mm, I'm not that busy. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not passive income, right? No, it's not passive income. I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> no biggie. There's not, uh, there's no, so if you are going to be a successful writer, you're going to be very busy. So you mm-hmm. might as well make it easier for future you by setting things up so that you can advertise it easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very that, that's very smart. Very smart. Great advice. By the way, these questions are great. I had no idea that I had all these thoughts. <laughs> oh, there <you laughs> All these things. <laughs> Just like, wow, I have a lot of thoughts about this. <laughs> I had no idea. So thank you. Um, so well, yeah. tell us what assumptions you um, had at the beginning of the, your writing career and did they turn out right or wrong? Um, at the beginning, I'm going to, I had, I assumed, and I think a lot of people who, um, grow up with the idea of a writer, um, from a young age, also, you know, you always have to keep in mind that indie writing is so young. Like we don't mm-hmm. think about it because mm-hmm. in our industry, I'll say something like, oh my gosh, my book is like six years old. It's just ancient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, was, that was back in, wow, twenty. 14. Wow. (laughs) You know, or something like that. But when you really think about it, the way we've been doing writing is just super new, super new, like, you know, being able to get to Mm -hmm. the people like this without so much, so many middle people coming through, kind of getting rid of gatekeepers, Mm -hmm. you know, the market being like really, really deciding who gets to make a living and stuff like that so many writers making a living on writing alone as opposed Mm -hmm. to supplementing it with teaching and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So when I was a baby writer and when I was looking into this, I was just like, oh, you know, what you do is you write one book that really sells and then Mm -hmm. you're set for life and the like. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that was really interesting to me, um, having done a traditional deal beforehand, is like you meet so many people and they have like these big books. They're all teaching, like, you know, to supplement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Most of them mm-hmm. are teaching to supplement mm-hmm. their income. Like even people who've gotten in movie deals, like right, you know, right. Tony yeah. Morrison, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, but, you know, like growing up, it's just like, wow, I just want to write like a big, uh, Alice Walker is my huge, huge hero. She wrote The Color Purple. Mm-hmm. It's like, I just want to write a big book like Color Purple, be set. <laughs> Alice Walker and kind of you know you don't realize that it's not one book it's Mm -hmm. a career 
Mm-hmm. And that's the assumption I made that, oh, if I wrote a good enough book, mm-hmm. it would just sell big and um, and that it would. And then you'd um, just be set, right? Yeah, Maybe. just be set. And that, you know, I think in a, on an emotional level, I kind of thought that being a successful writer would solve something mm. and it does solve money. I'm not mm-hmm. going to lie about that, mm-hmm. but it doesn't, so, but everything you are right now that you feel would be fixed mm-hmm. by success, mm-hmm. you're probably going to have to deal with in therapy. So yes. set that money aside. <laughs> Make a little therapy fund. Yeah. Your insurance. <laughs> <laughs> the good therapists don't accept your insurance and they're like three figures an hour for <laughs> their time. So yeah. set that yeah. money aside right yeah. now. <laughs> I would say that success actually makes you more neurotic and you need, you probably need more therapy if you're successful. Yes. Because- yes. Like it's, it's funny. Cause like the nice thing about success is like, if you run into a wall with your mental stuff or your emotional stuff, it's just kind of like, wow, this is getting in the way of my money. So I've mm-hmm. got to go solve this. Whereas mm-hmm. beforehand, when I was a playwright, it would just be like, I'd have like this, like, I remember saying to a friend, um, when I was first dating my husband, um, yeah, it's going really well. Sometimes I'm, I just think maybe I should let it go. Cause don't you ever want to just burn something to the ground just to see it burn? <laughs> and she's like, no, that's not healthy. <laughs> No, we don't all think that way. (laughs) So all of that, you're going to have to eventually deal with some therapy. So get successful so you can afford that. Yes, exactly. That really great therapist who specializes in creatives. Like I went to that specialized in creatives and she was expensive and she was really worth it. And I was (laughs) just like, but that idea that, being successful or becoming a big writer or becoming yeah. a successful writer will solve anything. It solves nothing yeah. on a real emotional mm-hmm. <laughs> and psychological yeah. Yeah. level. Yeah. If you've got a hole before, you're going to have yes. a hole after. Yes. Yeah. And the hole yeah. gets bigger. It just, <laughs> it's just gets bigger. Kind of, yeah. Cause there's not enough money to throw well, into it or enough success to throw into yeah. it. You got to fit. You got to fix that hole. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's like the, like the pyramid, you know, like when you're just trying to survive, you're just, mm-hmm making enough money to survive you focus on that but then once you meet that need then you're like oh yeah I've got some stuff to work on so it's like you can't focus on that until you're sure you can you know pay your bills and eat so right absolutely (laughs) absolutely well have you ever made a mistake that turned out to be a good thing this is kind of a fun question yeah, I'm so see, so now I'm really curious about other people's <laughs> answers. But I'd say genre hopping. Like yeah. as far as like finding new fr- I I kind of think I I I have now kind of returned it as my portfolio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> diversified interests. <laughs> my diversified that. income streams and the yes, like. Yes, yes, yes. So I honestly think that genre hopping is the best thing I could have done. Um, and, you know, this goes towards kind of a practical burnout situation. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, I've been lucky that I, d- I haven't so... F- 
I'm knocking on wood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm knocking on wood. But so far, like I haven't like had to deal with any major burnout. And I think mm-hmm. that's because like, you know, I'll do a contemporary romance and then it's like, oh, it's time to do the Shifter series mm-hmm. or it's time to do an alien romance cl- mm-hmm. collab or it's time to do like something completely new. Mm-hmm. And even though I would make way more money if I just like stuck to like billionaire. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Also, the nice thing about genre hopping is you just take a lot more chances. And mm-hmm. so it's just kind of like, well, maybe people would like this. And um, I use my latest series, which was mm-hmm. my best selling series as an example. So I had a situation where I'd written um, an Asian American, I write interracial romance. Mm-hmm. So I'd written like an Asian American Black woman series for um called like the Nakam- the ruthless nakamoras mm-hmm. and it did really well it did parentally well like people mm-hmm. were always looking for this and i had done a mafia a couple of mafia um stories and they had done well and so i was like oh if i did an asian mafia story <laughs> i haven't seen it do like super super duper well but if i did a series mm-hmm. that would probably do um pretty well Mm -hmm. and so if i didn't genre hop if i didn't like yeah say oh i only do um black woman white men or i only do um mafia Mm -hmm. you know italian mafia or whatever or russian Mm -hmm. mafia i if i didn't if i hadn't combined those two i wouldn't have found the success that i did with that series which was my best-selling series of all time yeah. If I didn't genre hop and if I hadn't like, you know, yeah, tried a lot of different things. So I really, I really love genre hopping, although it is in the business kind of considered a mistake. Yeah, it is considered yeah. a mistake. And that's very interesting that you said you consider it diversifying your portfolio. And I think that you can really look at it that way because mm-hmm. a lot of times people advise writers to write fiction and nonfiction so that mm-hmm. you have, you know, a mix, but you, if you only stay in one genre, you would never know Mm-mm. how you would do in other genres yes. or if you were able to combine certain subgenres. So mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting in a good way, a healthy mm-hmm. way to look at it. Healthy way to look at it. Yeah. 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 Mine was um, I heard Chris Fox, who I will pretty much do anything Chris Fox tells me I to love do, Chris but Fox, yeah. I heard him on a podcast <laughs> saying that. He would launch. He would launch a book at ninety nine cents. Um, do a pre order for ninety nine cents. Launch the book at ninety nine cents. You know to get a lot of visibility and stuff. And I, it was my second book. The first book I had launched at two ninety nine. But I was like, I'm going to do what Chris Fox says. So I did the pre order thing, and I got tons of pre orders at ninety nine cents. And it was like about to release, and I emailed him and said, Hey, just wanted to let you know, I heard you on the podcast. I'm doing it. It's working out great. And, you know, for my second book and he emailed back and I still remember where I was when I got the email and he said, I would never do that. (laughs) He was talking about using it for a first book in a series, not the second, but it turned out well because it got a lot of eyes on that second book. Because I love that. Yeah. But whoo, when I got that email, I was like, oh my gosh, I've just ruined my career and it's barely started. Um, but it worked out. But it was it's like it worked. It worked, <laughs> but wow, it was like I totally misunderstood what he said. Or or I came in late. I don't know what happened. But yeah, so that was that's mine. It, it, I would say I'm very woo-woo. So I would say the universe 
Yes. Told you what you needed to hear. Yes, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) You got from that what you needed. Exactly. Well, tell us, uh, have you had an opposite experience where you thought this is a great idea and then it just didn't really do what you wanted it to do? No, I never think my ideas are that good. I don't have that (laughs) great of (laughs) self-esteem. I was just like, I was racking my mind over this. I was just like, did I ever think there would be a brilliant idea? It was like, oh, no, all of them seem quite risky, including becoming a romance author. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's good to know, dude. <laughs> yeah. it, is, it is kind of a out-of-the-box choice just yeah. to be a writer. So know, in right? general. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and especially an indie author. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. Like, so we're going like, even further. Do you like one star reviews? Do you like people? Yes. <laughs> Do you like rejection? <laughs> yes, exactly. On a daily basis. Yeah. Do you like voices that won't hit? Oh, do you like that feeling that you get when you have a homework assignment due, but for like all of your hours, all of your waking hours? Do you like that? Mm-hmm. Become a writer. <laughs> yeah, I always say it being a writer is like uh, assigning yourself homework for the rest of your life. Yes. That is exactly what and I hated homework. So I if, hated homework. Hated it. <laughs> Do you hate it's it when pointless. you're going to the bathroom it is and you pointless. get it? It is pointless. And like, even now it's very hard for me to be like to my kids, like you got to do this homework because mm-hmm. A, I didn't do it that much when I was a kid. I got in trouble for this all the time. Yeah. And B, it's pointless. Right. Right. A lot of it exactly. is. It really a lot of it is. is. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Some of it is not pointless. No, it's not all of it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. a lot of it's pointless. Oh, I agree. When my daughter and I were coloring her 27 pages of stuff that had to be turned in before you know Christmas break I was like this is the dumbest thing ever we are coloring (laughs) so I agree (laughs) I feel like it's there like I being a parent is so weird because you're just kind of like they're complaining about things and then you you kind of have to privately like you can't agree with them no you can't go you're absolutely right 12 year olds. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and when they to... say things like, I don't think I'm ever going to use this kind of math. And it's just like, you are absolutely not going to use this. <laughs> Never. Not <laughs> you once. Can't tell yeah. them. <laughs> you learn to keep a really straight face. I know. And internalize all that. Yeah. I know. Yeah. yeah. Well, we wanted to talk to you about um, the, your, your new book and universal fantasy. So um, can you, kind of tell us a little bit, kind of give us the difference between universal, what, what is universal fantasy? And then how is that different from tropes? So universal fantasy, it's funny with the whole trope thing, because it's just <laughs> kind of like trope really is great because it helps me define universal right. fantasy. So it's hard mm-hmm. to define without trope. Without trope, I would just say universal fantasy, it's the reason your audience enjoys your books or your stories, or there's the reason audience enjoys stories. And um, as far as universal fantasy versus tropes, it makes it a little easier to break universal fantasy down if you think of like tropes are what the book is. So if you think of something like my favorite trope of all time, Beauty and the Beast, Mm -hmm. like, you know, for when you say the trope Beauty and the Beast, all these things come to mind as to why you love this trope, why you're down for a Beauty and the Beast retelling in romance or whatever. And um, those reasons, all those reasons, that big list of reasons, each one of them is a universal fantasy. Okay. So 
trope is what is it, Beauty and the Beast fantasy, um, and the in the universal fantasy is why that trope is good or the reasons that people enjoy that trope. Right. Yeah. So let me real quick give the name of your book since I didn't mention it. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Seven Figure Fiction, How to Use Universal Fantasy to Sell Your Books to Anyone. So, and it's excellent. I highly recommend it. Yep. Um, so like, let's take Beauty and the Beast. We were going to do some kind of examples and kind of talk through some pop culture stuff that, because mm-hmm. examples, you know, help me figure things out. So like in Beauty and the Beast, there's like in your book, you talk about Beauty and the Beast and you kind of break down some of the tropes. I mean, some of the universal fantasies from that. So could you hit just a couple of those to kind of give examples of what those would be um, from Beauty and the Beast? Yes. So for Beauty and the Beast, it's just great because it's just (laughs) kind of like um, so many good ones. (laughs) It's like I could Mm -hmm. go on about Beauty and the Beast. In fact, I had to like stop at that list because I was like, (laughs) I could go on. (laughs) I can name some more, especially um, Disney's version of Beauty and the Beast, which is a seminal moment of my childhood. I can still remember like um, watching, there used to be this show called um, At the Movies with um, Siskel and Yes, yes. And Roger Ebert gave this like fangirl review for Beauty and the Beast. And I remember watching it at home on like, you know, broadcast television and being like, oh, I should go see this movie. I like really want to go see this movie. And and he said, oh, everyone gave it a standing ovation at the end of the movie. And it was like in Cannes or something like that. Like it was at a pretty, and he was just like, I just loved it. I just loved it. And he gushed over it and I went to see it. And it was just like one of the few times that a critic has been like, I've been like in, in agreement with. Yeah. <laughs> like it was just like, and I remember our whole movie theater and it was interesting. Cause I went to, uh, I um, lived in a 99.9% like black neighborhood, mm-hmm. <laughs> went to 99.9% black um, school. And we like stood up for this movie. And clapped. Yeah. <laughs> we just really loved it. So it was a very seminal moment in yes. my life to like mm-hmm. go and see this. I remember I can still see my little sister sitting next to me and us like saying that was just so good mm-hmm. afterwards and being really affected by it. But the original question was what makes this <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what made everyone from Roger Ebert <laughs> to like a little black girl in Missouri be like this this movie is great. And you know, my number one thing is the provincial life, what I call the provincial mm-hmm. life pull, which is like when you are pulled from your boring life or your ill-fitting life into another life that is mm-hmm. like nothing you've ever known, that's full of discovery, sometimes adventure, like mm-hmm. that. <laughs> that fuels a lot of movies. Let's just mm-hmm. say that. Mm-hmm. Like a nice, a, a nice provincial life pull. Mm-hmm. And um the other, there's so many in this movie, but um, fixing somebody with your love, like mm-hmm, a fixer mm-hmm. lover, <laughs> one of my favorite, favorite um, things from Beauty and the Beast. Like she's literally, if he can get her to love her, or if she can um, get him to the point, fix him up to the point where he is lovable and deserving of love, then he will become a human again. Mm-hmm. So like the stakes are so high. Um, and I'll do a, th- a third one just to yes, yes, please. with the rule of three. And oh, I'm trying to, it's hard to cherry pick the, um, <laughs> it's hard to pick 
like the favorite ones. But you know, it's funny because the one that I think people are most surprised about in the book that I put in in the book is servants who love to serve. Because I think mm-hmm. we don't really talk about that yeah, that much. Right, right, it's right. like one of the best servants who love to serve. Right. Um, examples in history i mean there's like annie mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and then there's like this where they're like literally doing a song and dance before dinner it's what makes all inclusive resorts really great mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. jamaica you know why yes a little dance beforehand and it's just like oh we're not just we're not just happy to serve you we're entertaining you we're just so happy to be here and mm-hmm. i think there's like a real human fantasy um, about that, like, oh, people are actually happy to serve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. I remember in your Ram talk last year, you were talking about the fixer upper and you thought you were doing the fixer upper with your husband and you realized that you were the fixer upper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a fixer upper. I might still, I need a lot of maintenance. I might still. Well, when you said the servant thing, that even reminded me like Batman, you know, Alfred Alfred lives. I mean, that's his entire goal in life. I mean, that's his only role is to serve Batman. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be in romance. No, no, it's all, it's all over. It's all over. Yeah. And that's one of the points of your book is that it's not just in romance, that these Mm -hmm. are things that you, that any genre, you can use them to like increase the appeal of your book. So what it brought to mind to me was um, Downton Abbey, not all the things in Downton Abbey are like that, but there are some that like the Butler I'm having mental block. I can't think of his name but he just wants to, he wants to help Lady Mary, you know, and help her mm-hmm. navigate life and stuff. So it's just, you yeah. can find them in every, everything, genre. which, which brings us to the next point, which we wanted you to tell us in Knives Out. What are Knives universe. Out. Yeah. Oh, so that's not a romance. That's, that's a mystery and hilarious. Um, so yeah. I will say that I cried a lot during this movie because it was, I didn't see it until after Chris Plummer died. And then it was just, Oh yeah, that's sad. Oh man. (laughs) But what a great, uh, I don't know if it was his last movie, but it was the last movie that I think it's his last movie. So so it's the last movie that I saw him in and he had such a storied career. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, first of all, Chris Plummer. That's not a universal fantasy. Mm-hmm. But, um, <laughs> Just a personal one. That's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Having a great last movie. Like, but I did yeah. think that yes. toward, toward the end, I was like, what a, like, you know, I, I after it, it rolled, I was just like, what an amazing mm-hmm. legacy this mm-hmm. actor has had. What yes. is just amazing. That's a, just mm-hmm. a great movie to end on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, it, and it's like, you know, the last movie in many of mm-hmm. our lives. So mm-hmm. it's just kind mm-hmm. of like sound of music to this. It's like, yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> you lived. Good job. I think a lot mm-hmm. of us want that. A lot of yes, us creators exactly. are just like, man, good, you know, good career, like legacy, mm-hmm. things you'll remember forever. Knives Out, this huge, this huge franchise now. Mm-hmm. Yes. Really, really know. great. So, but that being said, here are the three I came up with for um, Knives Out. Um, rich kids get their comeuppance. So... Mm-hmm. 
Yes. I hope this isn't insulting you, no. <laughs> Jamie or Sarah. I don't know how you grew up. But I think we all have seen these situations where some rich kid mm-hmm. who gets something that they don't really deserve because their parent is rich in the right. life. So this movie was slattered with the butter because it's just like all these horrible rich kids. Guess what's going to happen? They ain't getting a dime. <laughs> you yes, know, it's exactly. going to be yeah. like, and there are so many horrible rich kids. We watch mm-hmm. them on our reality shows all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just kind of like, well, I think some of us do kind of have um, that fantasy, like, mm-hmm. well, what would happen? And this is what made Shit's Creek such an amazing mm-hmm. television show. Yes. What would happen if these horrible kids just, you know, didn't get the riches that mm-hmm. they, for whatever reason, felt they were due just mm-hmm. by... Um, the circumstances of their birth. Um, and on the flip side of that is virtuosity wins. Like mm-hmm. yes. poor servant who is, you know, kind of innocent and poor and always is just trying to do her best and kind of deserves the money, this person gets it. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, my grandma was a maid. Um, both my grandmas were maids. And um, this almost never happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yes. Usually the horrible rich kids just get mm, their yeah. parents. Yeah. Yeah. And even in a movie, I was just like, I don't know that she's going to be able to keep that. Like, just yeah. it, just like the little I know of inheritance law, like they would sue her into the ground. Yes. It doesn't exactly. matter if one of them murdered, straight up yes. murdered. Yeah. <laughs> you know? They, she's not going to get all that money. Like yeah. they were going to keep her in court for the rest of her life. But for the course of the movie, we can believe that the virtuous person won. Yeah. And so yeah. that's a really great universal fantasy. And um, the last but not least for those of us as we get older is grandma isn't useless. I love <laughs> oh, yes. where the old person who's being dismissed and ignored turns out to, oh, guys, we should have said spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, yeah we'll, spoiler alert. we'll do spoiler alerts when we do the introduction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Spoiler, yeah. Alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. So grandma turns out to be essential to the case, mm-hmm. a huge linchpin mm-hmm. in the case. And um, I really love that because that's one of the things that was really interesting about that universal fantasy is she's what we all fear. We all mm-hmm. fear like being shoved into a corner while we're like dying in a wheelchair and stooped mm-hmm. over. We all fear that, especially moms, because mm-hmm. it's like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I've warned yeah. my kids not to do this, but who knows <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. what they'll do when you're yeah. old. And just sort of be patted on the head. That's, yes. that, yeah. Like, yeah. Hi, Grandma. Like, I mm-hmm. don't understand any. I'm just mm-hmm. patronizing you. Yeah. But then when he sits down with her, it's like, I think you're useful. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he turns out to be right. I love mm-hmm. that. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, me yeah. too. So I was going to say that I think that with the second point about the virtuous person winning, it mirrors like what's happening in mystery that like there's injustice in the world and you want to see that righted. And so you get like the double whammy, you get the, oh, they get to win in the story. And then, you know, you get the the theme of that as well. So mm-hmm. I think I very cool that, that it works yeah. out that way. You know, mm-hmm. that's interesting that you s- should say that because this, film is just slathered with justice slathered with justice Mm -hmm. it's like oh you know we do find the truth in the end Mm -hmm. like you have that detective um that daniel craig 
um, detectives. Uh, yeah. And I just really, you know, as somebody who adores actors, really love the choices he made in that role, mm-hmm. who just doggedly is just kind of like, ah, I'm about to solve this case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm going mm-hmm. to solve this case. I love Yes. That. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Yeah. Well, um, another one, if we have time, we wanted to hit on a couple more. So do you want to talk about Notting Hill? Oh, my very Hill. favorite guys, movie. Yes. <laughs> Is that a guys. big, big fat, uh, big fat fastball to you to knock out of the park with this? <laughs> yeah, that's just it's so got easy. A ton of them too. Yeah, <laughs> so many, so many. Okay, so anytime you have a divorce character, it's just kind of like, and they get. Um, and this is funny because this is one of those fantasies. If you get divorced and the next person is just tons better than the ex, yes, I, I'm sorry, I'm doing, You're I'm complaining. doing a thumbs up. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm doing a thumbs up for those of you who can't see at home. Sorry about that. So I'm doing a thumbs up. That is amazing. I love, yeah. like, you yes. know, I, I call it opposite ex. It's kind of like an opposite of X fantasy, but this is even better because it's better than X. It's like yeah. opposite <laughs> of X and better than X. Like, you know, the person that my next wife or my next boyfriend or my next whoever, my next love, my big love is not only the one true love, but they are so much better than you. <laughs> They're like mm-hmm. 10 times better than you. Like you're going to like look at this and you're going to be like, oh my God, mm-hmm. <laughs> this person married Julia Roberts. Yes. <laughs> and like, oh my God, I'm glad that's never happened to me. But <laughs> I think that's a fantasy that a lot of yes. people have. Let's yes. Yes. I think yeah. so too. Yeah. Um, this was really interesting because the chosen, he gets the chosen fantasy. Yes. And yes. it's one of the few um, movies that does it with a male protagonist where, mm-hmm. because there, I talk about it a lot, the um, kind of uh, the fantasy of being chosen by the most popular, by the richest, like mm-hmm. whoever um, person and yeah. person in your sphere or your community mm-hmm. and being chosen by that person. It's a super old fantasy kind of going back to, um, you know, whatever kind of makeup caveman tribes, like almost every society has that situation where the most powerful warrior in the tribe picks you, <laughs> you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. and that's like this huge fantasy. So in this case, it's kind of a reverse where, mm-hmm. Um, this huge movie star, at least for the first third of the movie, picks him. Yes, just like yes. I pick you. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And then it's always pick good. You again. Mm-hmm. There's a there's some misunderstanding. Now I come mm-hmm. back and I pick you again. There's another misunderstanding, mm-hmm. and and then I pick you yeah. <laughs> a third time. So three picks. Yes, picks of you from this um, huge star. So I really love that. Something that um, another fantasy that we don't really talk about that much is bringing somebody to a party who really impresses your friends. Yes. (laughs) The good party guest. Yes. 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 So it's just kind of like, you know, walking in with a movie star. Can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine? I've seen Notting Hills. So I can yes. kind of imagine. But like going to a dinner party and like our birthday party. I can't remember if it was a dinner party. It was his birthday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The English, no offense, their parties all kind of seem like dinner parties. Really- yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Even if it's like a raucous birthday party, it's just like this, this, 
has this has the vibe this has yes. the mood of a dinner party right but anyway yeah. bringing this person to your dinner party so like that really impressive friend thing yes it was so it, I still I love that scene and I in fact I just thought about it the other day I went to the bathroom and I was buttoning up my pants and I remembered her saying I I saw her when she unbuttoned her pants and there was definitely cellulite or something <laughs> like that you know when she follows her into the bathroom <laughs> I love that movie, but it's just so like, it's just, yeah, the dinner party is one of my favorite scenes in that movie because everybody is just so freaked out, but they're trying to be cool. They're trying to be so cool. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, That was great. Yeah. And then the next movie is the, is Crazy Rich Asians. Which oh my gosh! Was you guys so great. do not understand how much I love this movie. Yeah, yeah. it's a great oh movie. Oh my gosh, you do not understand. <laughs> I love this movie so much, and I read the book beforehand. I think it's one of the few movies where they were just kind of like, you know what? This book is completely over the top luxury. Let's mm-hmm. let's put some more butter on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel there's still not enough butter. It's like the Julia Child production. I always felt like Julia Child was putting, like, I was just like, Mm -hmm. I think you could get away with one stick of butter for this recipe. She's like, you know, let's put four. (laughs) Let's let's go for the big four. (laughs) Just a little bowl (laughs) with the butter. Yeah. But, but, um, I really, so I've just really loved the the luxury. Like they really mm-hmm. caught that. Like, you know, just being able to see how really rich people live and kind mm-hmm. of experience that magazine. Like it's mm-hmm. the reason we buy Architectural Digest right. or in my case, flip through it in the mm-hmm. airport, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. buying it. <laughs> but, you know, it's why we watch that MTV show Cribs. Like, it's just like, just to see how these other people lived. It took us Universal Fantasy Go like I love um fantasies where you get to see how rich people live from another culture that you've not seen before mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. to go to Singapore yeah and to um get this kind of whoa like okay so this is how single like this is how the rich of Singapore live it's really mm-hmm. great mm-hmm. like you know this right. is one of those ideas that is just kind of like, oh, we could have gone to, um, done this in um, South Africa or Ghana or like any place where there's a really rich community and we get to see how this rich community as Americans, at least from another Mm -hmm. culture lives. I always, and this is one of the same things I loved about um, Shang-Chi, which was the latest, not the latest, I guess Eternals is the latest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One before that Mm -hmm. um, big uh, Marvel pick. And it's finding out that your boyfriend has a secret. Like, you know, whoever you're dating, whoever you're, although in Shang-Chi, he wasn't the boyfriend, he was her best friend, but whatever. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, (laughs) In Shang-Chi, it turns out that this dude not only can fight like the Dickens, but that he has like a six-pack abs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he has mm-hmm. a six-pack. Can you imagine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> your best male friend. It's just like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. Like you're you're this kick-ass martial artist. You'll do anything to protect me, and you have a six-pack. Right, like right. I love surprises like that. So I love right. um with this idea, like, oh, the guy you're dating isn't the guy you think he mm-hmm. has a secret, he's a prince. Like, you mm-hmm. know, this is really throughout time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The guy you like 
has a secret or has mm-hmm. is richer than you think is a prince is something right, right, like right. a secret identity. And then um, my it, my favorite, my favorite on a personal level in this mm-hmm. film that we might not have thought of is winning over your mother-in-law. Yes. Winning oh, over your future mother-in-law. My yeah. mother-in-law like kind of tolerated me. <laughs> so, the idea of not only being right, being proven right and having her approval in the like that's that's a huge universal fantasy that mm-hmm. a lot of us don't talk about but <laughs> that a lot of us have like yes. winning over the mother-in-law and last but not least it, not least and this is one of the changes from the book that I just really really approved of in the movie is getting the engagement and propose getting the proposal you deserve like I love mm-hmm. that playing yes. Bravo proposal. Yes. I love you, you know, do this with me. And then it leads right into the engagement party you deserve. Mm-hmm. Like, I was just like, he takes her off the plane. And then there's this huge, uh, again, spoiler alerts, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's yeah. this huge party waiting for her. And that's how the movie ends with her getting like the proposal and the engagement party on like, although, you know, the the um, LA person in me, I lived in LA at the time was like, you could never do a rooftop party like that at the major hotel (laughs) and under a a half a day, get it all planned. Yeah. 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 Just a coordination. Like they had catering. I was like, who's catering this? How did you get this? Production wise, this would not happen, but fantasy wise loved it. Yeah. (laughs) Do you know that, that uh, my, realistic streak is how I really justify writing romance because you know so many people say romance is so unrealistic Mm. these romance but the fact that I'm so realistic and that I can suspend reality enough to write a romance I feel like that totally justifies the fact if (laughs) if I'm peddling anything that is that is unrealistic it's it's not really because I know (laughs) <laughs> it does take more than a day to create something like that. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. No, it's funny because um, if you ever write military romance, like uh-huh. if you do anything wrong, man, they will ding mm-hmm. you. <laughs> like, yeah. So I don't like to get that wrong. But every so once in a while, someone's just like, oh, you couldn't possibly get to that place or you couldn't possibly plan that in that amount of time. And like to be able to say, I know. I know, I know, but I want you guys I, to have that fantasy. That's right. Enjoy. <laughs> Enjoy. Yes. Enjoy. Just suspend your disbelief. I'm aware. Yeah. 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 Well, it's the mystery. Hilarious. It's the like, you have the little town that has like 500 dead people in it because yes. like, they keep finding the dead bodies. <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah, like, yeah. that's totally unrealistic. Yeah. And you just have to say, as a writer, I was like, I just have to say, that's okay. Right. Because my readers want to go there. They right. want, they're willing to suspend their disbelief, and yes. that's okay. And I, I, actually, I will say because of mysteries, I will, I refuse to live in a small town. Ever. Yeah. They're dangerous. They're very dangerous. Very dangerous. <laughs> well, I actually bit myself in, I mean, like bit myself in the butt with my reality streak because my bride, well, first of all, in this small town, all the brides run away. Like that. How is that realistic? But <laughs> we, we suspend reality enough for that. But then when I went to write my next series, it had a, it was a professional football player. And I was like, I've got, I've got a rock star, a millionaire, a country music star, a child star in this town. I cannot add a um, professional football player. Like that's just too much. But what I realize now I could have. Yeah. Totally <laughs> gone with me. And I just was being so realistic that 
that it would have been better if I'd put them in that small town. So, yeah. Well, it could, it's just a suburb of LA, right? You just find all those people in yeah, no, LA, it's a right? suburb of Austin. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. Well, we have loved this. And when you say butter, what you're saying is that's just the good stuff that goes yes. on top that you just fold into that story. And so, and then drizzle, drizzle on top. So uh, that's all the stuff that people love and, and want more of. So exactly. Yes. Yeah. 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 Is there anything else about universal fantasy that we need to know before we get to the last question? Um, I don't think so. I think like, you know, going over examples, hopefully that's mm-hmm. um, illuminated it. And, yes. you know, yeah. yeah, there is that I book. Think- yeah, I was going to say, no, and get the book. book. Yes, exactly. Yes. So hopefully if, if there's still something you don't understand about the universe. It'll be in the book, yeah. Feel free to read that book. No, I think your examples have been great. And it, I yes. think it just helps to have like something that is concrete that like a lot of people have seen probably. Mm-hmm. So I think it'll be really good. So. Yeah, I agree. Well, what's the best thing you've done to set yourself up for success, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> it seems, it's it's funny because so much of it seems like such an accident like mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um and so much of it I wouldn't do now so I guess um following my instincts when I was young like mm-hmm. you know like when I remember right before and maybe like um a few months before I met my husband and right before I in maybe like a year before I got my first radio writing job mm-hmm. I was just kind of like well so you went to I went to a really expensive undergrad I then went to an expensive grad program and mm-hmm. all these loans I was just like I was I then, you know, kind of decide to make become a playwright. And I was mm-hmm. just like, you know, why did you go to grad school? Why mm-hmm. did you do this? Why didn't you just, you know, I had a um, offer to go to um, University of Missouri, Columbia, full mm-hmm. ride, plus a stipend yes. in the journalism program. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of like, so I got very bitter about the choices mm-hmm. I had made because I had this instinct that I really needed to get out of Missouri. I wanted to go to this all women's college mm-hmm. um, and I w- it, for my undergrad. And then, you know, for my grad school, I had written while I was in Japan, I had written like a script in Japan mm-hmm. and it was just this instinct, like this is youthful instinct to do this. And I just really followed my instincts. One of the things that, um, and I followed my intu- intuition mm-hmm. and I followed my um, interest, what mm-hmm. I was interested in. Mm-hmm. And so I did kind of have this list, like after I graduated with an English major, I promised my parents that I would like, you know, pursue law. That's what mm-hmm. you tell them when you call them and say, I'm going to be an English major. Yeah. You're concerned. You're like, don't worry. I'll go to law school after yes, this. Yes. <laughs> you know, and I tried, I, I remember like bringing like the LSAT, the, uh, the LSAT book to Japan with me to study from it. I just never got around to it. Mm-hmm. And then it was just kind of like, I really thought when I applied to um, CMU, CMU for grad school, Carnegie Mellon for grad school, that this, if I took this path that I could be happy mm-hmm. and that it would be a career that I would enjoy. 
And I was pretty wrong about the screenwriting half because I studied dramatic writing with a plan to become a screenwriter. Mm -hmm. But it turned out that I really like playwriting. And it turned out that, you know, I got to LA to find out that I really like playwriting. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. that was a weird move. But it's just like, by following my interests, I kind of ended up where I needed to be because I, when I think about the fact this in November, I think maybe two days ago was like my publishing anniversary um, of my first indie book. And I was just like, well, maybe I could write romance. Like I really like reading it. So maybe Mm -hmm. I could write it and I put it out there and I followed my interests and I've been here for 10 years now. Mm -hmm. And I just, Really, when I look back at it, I'm just happy that I honored myself and I honored my intuition and I didn't necessarily listen to all the adults in my life. <laughs> I love that. I love yeah. that. I love that. And and it certainly paid off for you. Even, even your genre hopping has, you've made it work for you. So I think that's awesome. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, we, this has been so great. We've loved this having so you on. so much fun, guys. Thank so you fun. for having me. You're welcome. Please tell everyone where they can find you and your books. We would love for them to find you. Well, you know, wherever books are sold. Just Absolutely. Theodore Taylor, if you're interested in my romance, seven-figure fiction. Um, I am... After you read the book, please join my Facebook group, Seven mm-hmm. Figure Fiction, which is facebook.com groups slash groups slash Seven Figure Fiction. Um, you can also um, find me um, at sevenfigurefiction.com and um, sign up for my Substack if you want more um, examples of, you know, universal fantasy. So, All right. Awesome. That is true. Thank you so much. Thank yes. you so much. This has been great. Thanks for being yes. here. And this we'll have so much fun. Thank you again. Yeah, you're welcome. We're glad to have you. And we'll have all the links at wishiknowthempodcast.com. And thanks to Alexa Larberg for editing and producing the podcast. And we'll see y'all next week. Thanks for listening to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. We hope this episode inspired you, empowered you, and made you laugh a little bit too. If you loved it, tell your friends about it. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review. We look forward to being with you again next week.